Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Today. I want to say a big welcome to all of our campuses. We're streaming today, and so our Nolensville, or Nashville, or Columbia, Haywood Hills, and our Franklin campus. Love you guys, and online. So wherever you're joining in from, welcome, and I pray God will speak to you today. What a great morning already, just worship and baptism and just seeing lives being changed, and I love it. And today we're launching our brand new series, and I'm so excited about this series. It's called Masterclass, and last summer we did a masterclass on the Gospel of Mark. And we walk through, you know, each chapter. And this time we're going through Romans. And Romans is so deep, so rich. I mean, you're going to be just encouraged, I hope and pray. And, and we're just going to dive deep into God's Word. And there's so much for us to learn. And hopefully maybe you have a, a journal. We have a master class journal just for this series. And if you're taking notes, you can use your worship guide. You can write some things down in here and put your worship guide in here. Or just however you want to do it. But just a great way for the next 16 weeks. Then by the end of the 16 weeks, hopefully you've learned a lot. We'd be like, man, wow, look what all God has taught me in this series. Because when you think about Romans, every great revival, right, in history has come out of this book of Romans. I mean, it's amazing. If you want to understand the Bible, you want to understand Scripture, you really start in Romans. If you go back to 386, 386 AD, there was a guy named Constantine. And, and this guy, right, you know, he became the emperor of Rome, right? And we're going to see that at the end. But after him, then there was this guy named uh, Augustine. And Augustine was a guy who, man, he was pretty far from God, right? And I mean, he was like pagan, he was living for the things of this world. He was a womanizer. He was kind of living this life. And even though around him, all these people were becoming Christ followers, like his mom, who was a devout Christian, he was an atheist. And he just didn't believe in God. And, and yet there was something missing in his life. And so he was out one day and he was in his garden and he heard these children out and they started chanting, take them and read, take them and read. And he was like, what is that? And so he went inside and he found a scroll that had Romans on it. And he started to read it and it said, put on Jesus Christ to deny the gratification of the flesh. And he was like, it's God getting my attention. And he ends up committing his life to Christ right then. And Augusta goes on to be one of the early church fathers. He turns from his old life, he writes the city of God, the Augustines, the confessions, it's just unbelievable the way God used him. Or you think about 1513, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was this guy, he was a devout Catholic, a devout monk, 
right? And it was all about works. It was all about penance. And he started reading in Romans. He got to Romans 1, 17, which says the righteous will live by faith. And he's like, by faith? Wait a minute. It's not about what I do. It's about what God's done. And it sparked the Protestant Reformation. I mean, you think about 1738, a guy named John Wesley. And John Wesley was reading a commentary on Romans. And all of a sudden, he said, my heart was strangely warmed. He said, I realized there had to be more. And in that moment, I was reborn. I gained new life. And John and his brother, Charles Wesley, ended up this movement that happened, revival that swept over, right, in Europe and in the United States. You just see this. And that's what God is continuing to do. John Calvin said, if you want to understand scriptures, understand the epistle of Romans. And so I'm praying in this series that God would bring revival in our own hearts, in our own lives. I'm praying that God would work with us, that God bring revival in his church and in the community and in our city and in our country for the glory of God. That's the journey we're on, church. That's what's going to happen, I pray, as we dig in to this amazing book of Romans. So if you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I mean, it is so good. Romans kind of starts a new division in the New Testament. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, all talking about Jesus, his earthly ministry, right, his healing ministry, his teaching ministry, Jesus' death, right, his resurrection, praise be to God, we celebrate it on Easter. And then you see that Jesus ascends into heaven and acts the early church. So you had 120 believers, then it becomes 3,000 and 5,000, 20,000, I mean, the early church starts to grow, so you have church history there. And then you get to Romans, and it's the Pauline epistles. It's the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the churches, and that's where Romans starts. So this is a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul, and he was in Corinth at the time, around 56 to 58 AD. He's writing to the church in Rome, and Rome was kind of the epicenter of the world at that time. I mean, it is the eternal city. Everybody wanted to go to Rome. Right? Rome ruled the world, the Roman Empire. Uh, the Caesars all lived in Rome. Rome was about two to four million people at this time, and about 33% were slaves. Now, here's what would happen. When the Roman Empire would go and conquer a nation, they would bring the best and the brightest to Rome. And so the slaves there were doctors and teachers. I mean, they were the educated people. They were still slaves. They were conquered, but they were the ones that were kind of doing everything. Rome was opulent. I mean, you talk about wealth, money, statues, huge buildings, the Colosseum. You may, you know, you've seen pictures of the Colosseum. Maybe you've seen Gladiator, right? Are you entertained? Right, you remember that from Gladiator, right? So that's happened in the Colosseum where they would have the gladiators fight and release animals. All that was happening there in Rome. So Rome was, everybody wanted to go because it was the center. Everything came out from Rome in the world. We got a map just to kind of show you where Rome is, right? And you can see, right, it's still there today. You got Italy, the boot, and there's Rome. Rome still continues. But if you look all the way over across the Mediterranean Sea to the other corner, you've got Jerusalem. And so you're looking at these two major cities, major places, the Mediterranean Sea, and you can see what it was like back then. But here's the thing about Rome, where you would go to Jerusalem and worship at the temple Rome was godless. I mean, you talk about wicked, you talk about total depravity, Roman orgies. That kind of gives you an idea of what was happening there in Rome. I mean, they had temple prostitutes. It was anything goes. And the emperor at the time when he was writing this was Emperor Nero. 
And Nero was a wicked dude. I mean, this guy was just pure evil. Uh, he had his mom killed. Uh, he was thinking she was going to try to overthrow him. He had his two wives killed. He married a child and had them disposed. I mean, he's just a sick individual, that kind of guy. But that was it. So you're thinking, Rome, all the wealth, all the money, all the power, but all the godlessness, right? And just the sin and the things that were happening there in that place. And so kind of get in your mind, if you went Las Vegas on steroids combined with Washington, D.C., right? Okay, so that's kind of what we're talking about, right? The political epicenter of the world, but also all the things that you're like, whoa, wow, that happened there, you know? So that's what we're seeing. And Paul writes this letter to Christians. There were actually Christians. There was a church there. And he writes this. So Romans chapter 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. I love that's how he starts. You know, Paul introduces himself. A lot of times our letters, we put our name at the end. But back in these times, they would put their name at the front so people knew who was writing. He says, Paul, and he just says, a servant of Christ Jesus. I mean, if you underline your Bible, underline that. Because it wasn't like he gave his pedigree. It was like I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I know the Old Testament law. I was highly successful. I mean, he just doesn't put any of that. He just puts, I'm a servant, servant of Christ Jesus. What if we just, in our minds, begin to think that way? Right? Like every time I wake up in the morning, okay, I'm a servant of you, Christ Jesus. What do you want me to do today? What do you have for me today? In my family, in my workplace, in my school, God, what do you have for me? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son as to the earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means Messiah. So Jesus, the Messiah, the one we've all been waiting for, Jesus the Messiah, our Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord is the confession of our faith that has joined together churches throughout the centuries, Right? We're united. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. He conquered death. He was resurrected. Through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Now, you may be thinking, how did there, is there a church in Rome? I mean, right, if Paul's never been there, you never planted the search, right? Who did that? Well, good question. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you remember after Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, Pentecost happens. And there's three major feasts every year that happen in Jerusalem. People come from all over. In Acts chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us there were people there from Rome. And Peter stood up and preached there at Pentecost on the western steps and 3,000 people accept Christ. So those people there from Rome probably were baptized right there. They probably stayed with the apostles. They learned, they went to the early church, and then they go back home, and they plant the church in Rome. And the church is thriving, and it's growing. Even in the midst of everything that's going on around them, the church is thriving. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He always use that grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. 
People are hearing about the church in Rome. People are saying, man, what is God doing there? Your faith is being reported. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness, how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So Paul, who's been on all these mission trips, who's planted churches all over, he's longing to get to Rome. Now we know from Acts 28, ultimately he will go to Rome, right? And he won't have to pay for it. I mean, he'll be taken as a prisoner, but he'll go, he'll be there in Rome, he'll be in a dungeon, but he'll be writing letters. It's unbelievable the ministry he has. But he says, I can't wait to come there. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's what church is. We mutually encourage one another. Paul's like, man, I want to go and learn from you, how you've been so strong. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm eager to preach the gospel, also to you who are in Rome. You know, the world divides us, right? The world wants to have, you know, by race and gender and socioeconomic status and education. The world wants division. But Jesus is for all people. He's like, I want to preach the gospel to everybody. I want all people to hear. And then verse 16. This is our scripture memory verse. We're going to challenge one another to memorize one verse of scripture from every chapter of Romans. Okay, so by the end, we're going to have 16 verses memorized. But here's the one from chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then for the Gentile. I am not ashamed. The Apostle Paul's writing this, right? He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He doesn't care because God is moving. Lives are being changed. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Boom. Underline that verse right there. The righteous will live by faith. Martin Luther, 1513. Martin Luther is this devout monk, right, in the Catholic Church. And I mean, he is there. He's been doing works all the time. He would go to confession, and the guy he's confessing to, the priest would say, Go out and sin some because you don't have anything to confess. I mean, this is minuscule, but he was trying to be so righteous and he was paying penance every time he could. Martin Luther went to Rome. In Rome, even today, I've been there, seen it. The Scala Sancta Steps are in Rome. And these are there because Constantine, who became the Christian emperor of Rome, his mom went to Jerusalem and took the stairs that they believed Jesus walked up to go to trial against Pilate, right? She brought those back to Rome. And people, even today, will crawl up those stairs on their knees to pay penance for their sins. There's people even today, you go there, you can see these steps. So for all these years, hundreds of years, right, people have been going. Well, Martin Luther goes, he's crawling up the steps on his knees, and about halfway up, he says, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by, it's not about what I do, it's about what he's done. It is by grace that you've been saved. He gets up, walks down the steps, goes back to Germany, nails the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg door, and the Protestant Reformation begins. Then you get to see that all of a sudden God's word is printed on the Gutenberg printing press, 
the first book ever printed, and now God's Word begins to go out all over, the number one book of all time, every year, best-selling book. Why? Because God's Word is alive and active. And now people who grew up Catholic going to Mass and just hearing the word in Latin and not having a clue what it said, now all of a sudden they get the Scripture and they start to read and they say, the righteous will live by faith. It's what God's done for me. And revival breaks out. Praise be to God. Isn't that amazing? Right there. That's what we're a part of. Oh, so good. All right. So you see that and you see today even and you see God working today. All right. When you get to verse 18, this starts kind of a new section right here. There's really four parts of Romans. Since we're in our master class, we're going to go a little deeper here. But four parts of Romans. The first part is God's wrath. Okay, and you're like, wow, that's exciting. Thank you. But I'm telling you, you got to understand this, right? To be able to get to the good news, we got to understand the bad news. And so from verse 18 through chapter 3, you see the wrath of God. And it says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He's writing to Rome, a lot of wickedness happening, a lot of slaves being killed, people being killed for no reason, all kinds of immorality that's going on. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Four, verse 20, I don't know if you underline, but this is a great one to underline. Four, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He says, guys, listen, everybody's without excuse. There is a God. Just look at creation. Just look up. Sometimes people will come and they'll go, well, what about the people in the jungle who've never heard about God? And you just go, well, I've been to the jungles, okay? I've been in the Amazon jungles. And there's people out there who go, there has to be a God. Just look at creation. The question is, what about you? Right? I mean, you've got the word. You've heard the truth. I mean, all people are without excuse. I mean, just look. I think it takes more faith to not believe in God than to believe in God. I mean, really. You look at the world. If the earth was just a little closer to the sun, we are going to burn up, right? We're a little further away. We're going to be ice cubes, all of us, right? I mean, it's in the perfect spot, turns. I mean, it's unbelievable how God created this world. I mean, you've got a cardiovascular system and a respiratory system and your whole body works and your ear works and your eyes work and all of creation, the food system, the solar system, it's all perfect. And he says, all of that is God trying to get your attention. All of that is God saying, hey, here I am. So that all men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What's he talking about? The statues in Rome, where they would have birds and images and, and people. They would go and they would worship the statues. He's like, God's the one that you should worship. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Man, do we do that today or what? In our world, in our culture, maybe we don't worship money or worship another person or worship a celebrity or worship something else that's been created, not the Creator. 
Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, slander, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They invent ways. They come up with ways. They disobey their parents. I love that he threw that in there right there. You know, as a dad of teenagers, right? They disobey their parents, right? They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. It's like they approve of it. It's like they go to the Colosseum and they see people dying all the time. And it's not like they're the ones killing people, but they're on the stands going, whoa, where'd it go? You know, they're, they're getting killed. They approve of that. And then I want to just go through verse one of chapter two, because remember, this was a letter. This was written as a letter. There wasn't chapters and verses. Those were added in the 1500s to help us study God's word. But he says, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Wow. There is a lot to unpack right there. But there is some incredible truth, right, that God wants us to know, that God wants us to live the way that he created us to live. And so I don't want you to miss this today. If you're taking notes today, pull out that journal or that worship guide. If you want to write some things down, if you're online, go to the Rolling Hills app. But I want you to see what God wants us to know today from Romans here. Look at this. Number one, in Romans, we see the importance of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Everybody who likes to fill in those blanks early, I bet you didn't get those. But here we go, right? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So if you're looking at the whole of Romans, right, these two things, masterclass. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from the faith for his name's sake, okay? Orthodoxy is the right belief. That's what it means, orthodox, right? The right belief. Orthodox, right belief. Orthopraxy is the right practice. So you got belief and you got practice, right? Your walk equals your talk. What you say you believe, you live out in your life in Jesus Christ. See, to understand Romans, you have to begin with the end in mind. You don't just pull out Romans 1 and go, okay, that's it, right? You look at the whole of Scripture. So you look at these 16 chapters and what Paul's getting to, and he's saying, you have this call on your life to live this out. You have this beautiful doctrine, this beautiful theology, but you've got to put it into practice. See, Romans 11 is the hinge of the book of Romans. Paul does in Romans like he does in Ephesians. He's got this beautiful doctrine, this beautiful theology, and then he goes, therefore, clothe yourselves with Christ. And he gets really practical. Rules for Christian living, rules for Christian households. Here's how you live. He does the same thing in Romans. He's got 1 through 11, right? 1 through 11 is this doctrine. This is what we believe, right? 
This is the gospel. Over and over again, it'll come back. The gospel, the good news, righteousness in Christ. Then 12 through 16 is how to live it out. How to live it out. And you'll see, therefore, the beginning of chapter 12, hey, live it out this way. This is how you put it into practice in your life. You know, if you were to go to the doctor, you would say, doctor, listen, I don't want any bad news. I just want only good news. Okay, can you just only give me good news? And the doctor's like, uh, well, you came here, right? You know, and he's like, no, 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 no. Just, just give me good news. You know, I know you've run all these tests. All I want is the good news. The doctor's like, okay, you look good today. I mean, like, what do you want, you know? And, and they're like, just don't tell me anything bad. And he's like, well, we did find this spot. Now, now listen, it's treatable. We can do something about it. I mean, it's treatable, but, but listen, you're going to have to change your diet. You're going to have to exercise. We can treat the spot, and you're going to have a long life after we treat it. There's great things. They're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear the bad. I just want to hear the good. He's like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I think it's the same thing spiritually. It's like we always we just want to hear the good, we just want to hear the good. And God's going, yeah, there is good news. But the good news means that there is some bad news. There, there is some bad news. And so what you begin to see is this. In Romans 1, we see the total depravity of man. I mean, he listed out there, doesn't he? He's like every sin you can think of. We're just going to list it out because it's all right there. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See, Romans 1 highlights the sins of the Gentiles. And when you see that in Romans 1, you're like, man, there's this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin. And you're going, man, there's a lot of sin. And he goes, yeah, it's still in the same way today. There is still a lot of sin out there. If you were Jewish and you were reading this letter, you'd be like, knew it. All those Gentiles, they are sinful pagans. Until you get to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2, it's the sins of the Jews. Romans 2, he's like, you're putting your faith in morality. You're putting your faith in what you do. You're thinking you're it, right? You could be good enough. We'll see that next week. Then you come to Romans 3, and it's the sins of all people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all need Jesus. Look, because of sin, we are objects of God's wrath. Now, when you see wrath, you immediately think of human anger, right? You immediately think, oh, I've been around people who have wrath. And it's just this unjustified, this anger, this just swelled up. But we can't put that onto God. Human anger is different. See, God's wrath is not out of anger, but out of justice. And we are thankful for justice, there's times in our lives that, man, justice wells up inside of us. When somebody starts talking about the uh, sex slave trade, about kids, man, I just get so angry. You're like, that is wrong. There needs to be justice in the world. Somebody step in and stop this. And the same thing is true with sin. Our God is a God of justice. We need justice in our life. We want justice in our world, right? We want laws. We want those things to protect us. God's wrath is not out of anger, it's out of justice. You know, the Titanic, it sank 110 years ago, right? And when the Titanic was built, they thought it was unsinkable. It was this marvel. No way it'll ever sink. There was these eight compartments, and the only way to sink the Titanic would be all eight of the compartments would have to be, they believed, slashed by an 
iceberg or they would go down. And so when the Titanic sank and 1,500 people were killed, when they pulled the Titanic up and they started looking at it, it wasn't that all eight of those chambers had had a gash in them. It was that only one did. But that one was compromised and the water spilled over and it compromised the other seven and the Titanic sank. You see, here's the thing, right? We've all sinned. And sometimes we look at this and we go, well, I haven't done that and I haven't done that and I haven't done that and I'm not that bad until we realize, oh, wait a minute. There is sin in my own heart, in my own life, in my own mind, in my own thoughts. And when an area of my life is compromised, it compromises every other area of my life. If I'm not a person of integrity in one area of my life, it's going to spill over in my marriage, at school. It's going to spill over in my workplace because that's going to infiltrate every other area. See, all sin is sin, right? All sin is sin when it comes to God. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to the depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. Because of sin, all people are broken, spiritually, physically, and even sexually. If you go back to the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, right? God created man for a relationship with him. If you ever wonder why you were created, you were created for a relationship with God. And things were great. Adam and Eve, they're in the Garden of Eden. They're in right relationship with God. They're in right relationship with their marriage. And then Genesis 3. And it's only good for two chapters, right? Because Genesis 3, man goes, I don't want to do it your way anymore, God. I want to do it my way. And so they sin. They eat the fruit that God said, don't. You got all these trees. All this is yours. And they go, no, 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 no. We want to do it our way. And Genesis 3, sinners enters in. Now you've got sinful man, holy God. Broken. Spiritually. We need help. We need hope. Physically. Now they have to leave the garden. Now under the garden, they didn't die. Eternal life. Now they have to leave. Death enters in. Decay enters in. Pain enters in. Physically. But also sexually. Do you realize by Genesis chapter 4, there's a guy named Lamech who has two wives. Like, man, that didn't take long, right? I mean, it was like all of a sudden we go from Genesis 1 and 2 where everything's perfect to Genesis 4 where this guy's taking two wives. You're like, how did that happen? Sin. See, here's the thing. God hates sin. Why? Because he knows what it does to us and to others. He knows what it does. If you're a parent here today, Right? You tell your kids all the time. You're like, yeah, listen, listen, don't do drugs. Please, just don't do drugs. Eh, don't get drunk, you know. Don't sleep around. Don't do that. Why? Because you don't want them to have any fun? No, because you want them to have the best life possible. You're like, this will destroy you. This will take you down a dark path. This is going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And the same with God. God created us. God knows what's best for us. God loves us. And so God says, don't do these things. I care too much about you. Have you ever thought about this? The people in your life who really love you are the ones who will tell you no. Everybody else is going to say, oh, yeah, do it. Smoke it, drink it, do it. Do it. But the people who love you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I care too much about you. No, 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 no. Not a good decision. Not. Hold on. See, God knows what it does. So God hates sin. As humans, we rank sins, like some are worse than the others. That's what we do. We come along and we go, well, this sin, yeah, that's the worst one, right? Not mine. Mine's not that bad. You know, theirs is bad. That's bad. But we always do that. Now, there are different consequences, but all sin is sin. 
And the consequences for murder, whoo, yeah, I mean, you're going to prison, right? I mean, the consequences for a lie, but a lie still erodes that integrity, erodes that relationship. It impacts others. It's still sin. It all comes down to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. It all comes down to this, right? If Jesus is the Lord of my life, am I going to live for the things of God or am I going to live for the things of this world? Am I going to say, God, I'm going to put you first in my life? You've been trying to get my attention through creation, through God's word, through people inviting me. You are trying to get my attention. I am going to live for you and not the things of this world. See, we can't fix ourselves, right? We all need a savior. And that's what we see. That's what Romans is about. That's what doctrine and theology is about, that we need help and hope. That's the bad news. We can't do it ourselves. We can't crawl up those steps enough times. We can't pay enough penance for our thoughts and our minds and the sin. You, therefore, have no excuse. We have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Jesus is the only one who can change a heart. Jesus is the only one who can change a heart. We can pass laws and try to legislate morality, right? And we need laws. We need laws. We need godly leadership in making laws. But, but ultimately, right, people are going to get around those laws. What we need is Jesus. What we need is the goodness and the grace of God in our lives. What we need is the goodness and the grace of God in our, in our community, in our city, in our country, in our world. Our world needs Jesus desperately. Jesus is the only one who can change a heart. We are not called to judge, but we are called to love. Because we're all on equal footing, man. We all need the Lord. And so we see that, we call it out, we say it's wrong, but man, we love you. We care about you. We want the best for you. See, as Christ followers, we too must hate the sin. When Christ is in you, there's sin, and you just go, man, I see what's happening and what it's doing to others. I hate that sin, but we love the sinner. Because we're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. We're all in need of love. We all need of God. Jesus wants to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. I was in Rome 23 years ago. And 23 years ago, I was there for a summer, and, uh, and we were doing missions. And we were going around to churches, and we're speaking, we're working with kids. And I remember one day, we went over to the Colosseum, and we actually just set up a volleyball net outside the Colosseum. There's a park area there. And people were coming over, we were giving out food, we were giving out Bibles, and having conversations, and playing volleyball, which was crazy because the Colosseum's right there. But it was amazing because the parks in Rome have fresh water, so running water. So people come from all over the world, and they go to Rome, and they sleep out in the parks, and people are there from all over. Well, there were people that were coming, and I remember these, all these people were coming from Afghanistan. Uh, they were fleeing the Taliban, and they were coming into Afghanistan. And, and I remember we were talking with kids and with moms and with other people, and there was a group of about six young men, all in their 20s. And they came, and I remember when they came over, and I was thinking in my mind, uh-oh, you know, and it, you know, something getting ready to happen here, and I was kind of judging in my mind, right? I was thinking, you know, here I am from the United States, and here I am a Christian, and you're probably Muslim, and, and, and I'm just kind of profiling in my mind and thinking, hey, we've got to be careful here, what's happening? But these guys came over, we were playing volleyball, we were having a good time, and, and I could tell that they were totally open, and so I sat down with one of them, and I had a translator, spoke Farsi, and... And so we started talking, and, and this one guy's like, well, tell me more about everything, and I'm telling about you. And so I started asking him questions. I was telling him about why we were there, and, and I said, so are you Muslim? And he goes, 
well, you know, I was born Muslim, but I'm not practicing. He goes, no, I, I, no, not at all. He goes, we actually were leaving the Taliban. He goes, I'm just trying to get here. He goes, uh, you know, I have a family back there, and I'm trying to get a job. I'm trying to get food to take back to my family because um, we're starving. And, man, my heart just changed, the empathy. It's just, it's just a regular guy. He's a husband and a father. And, and I said, well, do you know Jesus? He goes, well, I've heard about Jesus, but, but no. Tell me more. So I started telling him the gospel and sharing with him about Christ and, and sharing what Jesus has done in my heart. And you could watch him. I mean, you just saw this guy and his friends, and they're all standing around there listening. And you could see in his mind, he's like, that's amazing. And I'm like, yeah. I said, do you want to become a Christian? And, and then there's time, he's like, yes. And, and then he stopped, and he goes, if I give my life to Jesus, I can never go back home. He said, they would kill me. If I go back. And in that moment, it was like, you're right. What are you going to do? And you could see him working in his mind and he's thinking in his heart. And he's like, I want this. I want this so desperately. And I'm like, yeah, but what if you take the gospel back to your family? What if you take the gospel back? What if lives are being changed? And you could see this struggle that was happening right there. And I was praying with him and I was praying for him. And I was just thinking for all of us, the same thing. See, we live here in the United States, and we think, oh, following Jesus, oh, it's just what everybody kind of does. But there is a leaving your old life. There is this, like, I am following Jesus, and it's different than the world, and Jesus is calling me, and he's inviting me, and it's going to be an incredible journey, and heaven awaits. It's going to be awesome. But for right now, God wants to use me to share the good news. Will I be obedient? Will I trust? We all have a decision to make. And that's why he says, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul goes, I'm living it all for the gospel because I know what God wants to do in my life and in my family and the people around me. I want to live that way for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. Guys, the gospel means good news. There's the bad news, right? We've all sinned. There's the bad news, man. We live in this you know, cesspool so many times of the wickedness and the godlessness. But, but listen, the good news is the gospel. The good news is the goodness of God. The good news is what God wants to do in us. Don't live on the defensive. So often we live on the defensive, like, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. You be bold. You be not ashamed. You be strong in the Lord. People need the Lord. People want the Lord. People want to grow. We all know there's something missing in our hearts and our lives. And in the end... God wins. Guys, in the end, God wins. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how wicked it becomes, in the end, God wins. This is incredible. Do you know that guy, Emperor Nero, right? He was a sick, you know, emperor back then when Paul was writing. Emperor Nero in 64 AD will set part of Rome on fire in order to build a bigger palace. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to expand his palace, so he just sets it on fire so he can expand. Well, he blamed the fire on Christians. And so these Christians that Paul is writing to, where the church is thriving, these Christians become persecuted. They're taken and they're thrown in the Colosseum to the gladiators. They have animals released to eat Christians. They are wrapped and become human torches. They're wrapped in tar and become human torches for Nero's palace. And Christians go underground, the catacombs, but they stay faithful. They stay faithful. They stay faithful. When plagues hit Rome, Christians were the ones going out and picking up people off the streets and nursing them back to health. And so much so that Rome begins to change. 
begins to change. If people start knowing Christ and knowing Christ, knowing Christ and hope and joy and peace become in Rome until 250 years later, right after this letter was written, Constantine becomes the first Christian emperor of Rome. Rome is transformed from the inside out. In fact, if you go to Rome today and you go to the Colosseum, here's what you see when you walk in. When you walk in, there's a cross. There's a cross. You go into the Colosseum, there's a cross. All of a sudden, Jesus changes the world, the hope, the truth, the life. That's what comes. I watched the movie, The Jesus Revolution, the other day. You think about this in the 1960s, right? Make love, not war. It was a crazy time here in the United States. But what happened out of that? The Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement. So many people giving their lives to Christ. Billy Graham, lives being changed. Salvation coming. The last great revival that we've seen. In the United States, there's a revival that comes about every 50 years. That was 1970. Think about what's getting ready to happen. Think about what God's going to do. Think about what's happening right here, right now. We're a part of that. And God's at work. He's at work in you. Would you trust him today? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Just for a moment. I don't know where you are with the Lord. Maybe today's a day of salvation. You go, Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive my sins. Redeem me, restore me. Maybe you've watched baptism and said, oh, that's my next step. I need to do that. I need to follow. I need to trust Maybe for you, there's an area of sin or area of compromise that you go, I want to confess that. Man, pornography's got a hold of me or something's got a hold of me. God, I give it to you. Father, I confess. Maybe there's anger or bitterness or rage. Maybe today, God's calling you and saying, let revival come into your own heart. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be bold. Share Christ. People need the Lord. So Father, start with us. We are servants of Jesus Christ. Use us, God, for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Wow. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Man, he is here in this place. And God has a plan for you. God has a plan for all of us. And he loves you with an everlasting love. After the service, there'll be people right over here. We'll have a cross. If you want to talk with somebody, you want to pray with somebody, just come on over. We would love to pray with you and love to pray for you. This time I want to invite our ushers to come forward. It's a chance for us to give back, a chance for us to invest in God's kingdom and for God's glory. If you're a first-time guest, just give us that connection card and we'll follow up with you. If you have a prayer request, write that on that card and put it in the basket. If you're online, hey, go in the chat room. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. But let me say a short prayer right now and then we'll have a chance to give. God, thank you for your presence today. Thank you that you are our firm foundation. That anything in this world, it may go astray, but God, we're going to hold on to you and we're going to trust you. Thank you for your presence this morning, what you're doing in our own hearts and lives. Thank you, God, that you've blessed us and that we can be generous and give back to you so that people around the world will come to know you. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray and we give. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. 
The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.